Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller and Marjorie DeHay with Media Mavens podcast. We're here with our guest today, Dan Duffy, CEO of United Real Estate Group. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Uh, and glad to be here. <laughs> We're glad to have you calling in from Florida, too. So I'm super excited you're on the show with me, Marjorie, today, talking about real estate. It's, I, I mean, it's interesting because, or not interesting, it's actually sad looking at all these homes destroyed down in Florida with the hurricanes. But the real estate market is completely out of hand. In certain areas, it's crashing. certain areas, it's booming. There's no rhyme or reason what is going on right now. So we want to talk to you about, you know, what United is doing in the real estate market, where the market's going, where the issues are. And then I know you guys are innovating technology to help the realtors, I guess, better sell and handle the real estate market, if I'm not mistaken. No, that's right. Yeah. We built the toolkit for all of our agents and brokers so that they can uh, better serve their clients. It's not for the clients. It's for the realtors technology, correct? Yeah, it's for the realtors, but it, but it allows them to serve their clients and meet their needs with you know, communication throughout the transaction, making sure that they have a you know, well-negotiated you know, sale of their property or purchase of the property. It makes the process from end to end a lot more efficient for the agent that makes it a better process for the consumer. So all of our technology and the deep plumbing that we put in place allows the agent and the broker to be able to uh, to better serve their clients, and then the clients have a better experience, and and we're more efficient in doing that. So the agents uh, do better; they take home more money than they would with traditional firms, the legacy firms that are in the space, and brokers do well. And we really uh, built a, a business model. Honestly, you mentioned earlier at the front of the podcast that you know the real estate market is in a little bit of a flux right now. That's another way to say it. And you know, we actually built this business to perform very well in the in the market that was in 2020 and 2021, and the market that will be in the best rest of 22 and into 23, 24, 25. So we're actually extremely well positioned for what's to come in the real estate market, whether it you know cools off quite a bit more or it it tempers. Well, so, so let's talk about that like, before you get to the technology. Because you know, I know, I know every market's different. LA and New York are ridiculously high markets. They're saying the top three states to move to is Texas, Florida, and Arizona. And you know, because I just moved from LA to Arizona, as Marjorie knows, and the real estate market is definitely more for your buck here, much cheaper than it is in California. But I'm finding out the availability is getting crazy because so many people are moving here right now. And so, I mean, it's just hard to predict what's going on, but everybody's trying to say, don't buy, wait a year or two regardless. And I know when in Arizona, all, during COVID, all these big corporations are buying up monster amounts of acres and houses sat on them because it was so cheap. Now they're flipping them over. Some of them are short-term for Super Bowl and stuff, 20, 30 grand a week. Some are just sitting on them until the market turns and, and I know you were here in Asia a while ago as well. Does this seem to be the pattern everywhere? Or is it just some of these boomtown states that are starting to come up that people want to move to? Yeah, well, there's a few macro uh, dynamics that are going on. Uh, and first of all, let's step way back because you 
you literally touched on about five of the drivers that, that affect real estate, both on a national level and then on a local level. But let's pull way back for one second. So the market in the best of times will generate about 6.5 million transactions. And that's 6.5 million homes being bought and sold by folks across the U.S. In the worst of times, you're looking at you know the high fours, mid fives. And that has to do with just life happening. You know, folks get divorced, folks, you know, have a baby and they want to, you know, they want to, they've saved their money and they want to get into a house. And so it's, it's interesting. We're talking on the margin. So when, when the headlines read, you know, markets are doing this or markets are doing that, at the end of the day, there's still at, sitting at the core of the real estate market, there's a lot of transactions that are going on across the country. And if you look at over the last 30 years or so, you know, re- recessions, uh, interest rates moving in one direction or another, and then you look specifically over the last 30 years, I mean, the population of the United States, the only thing that is really predictive of how many homes are going to be sold on the, what they, you know, the regression curve is, is basically population. And population is influenced by births greater than deaths and net migration in. And this kind of goes to one of your points that it's different from market to market. So net migration in to the United States is one thing, but then net migration in or out of a localized market or a regional market is, is part of that equation. So if you want to predict how many houses are going to be sold, there's a very predictable with them high R squared to not get nerdy in math, but a high R squared that will predict roughly how many homes are going to be sold in a given year with the population in the United States growing at a compounded annual growth rate of approximately 1% from 300 million to 333 million over the last you know, 30 years, you have actually, it's a little bit less than that. You have your population births greater than deaths and migration influencing that number. We in the United States are actually in a great position to be holders of real estate. You know, real estate is a, you know, the appreciation of real estate is driven by demand and the drivers of demand are positive in the United States. If we live in Italy, it might be a slightly different story where, you know, births don't exceed deaths. I guess the adage is you need to be calm and folks need to be calm and not necessarily focus on the gyrations of the headlines within the industry. Yes, there are going to be market adjustments. Yes, the market is going to cool from the record-setting pace that was in 2020 and 2021, especially in the back half of 22. But at the end of the day, there's going to be you know four and a half, five and a half million homes sold, even in a cooled-off market, because life happens. Yeah, it was like 15 years ago when we hit that recession, like or maybe, yeah, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the market just dropped. It became a buyer's or renter's market versus a seller's market. But is it is it going to like go back and drop or is it just going to level off and correct itself? Because I know it boomed up during COVID. Everybody just wanted out of where they were. But we're still going to be higher than we've ever been, even as it cools off. Or are we talking actual recorrecting itself with the economy to where it's going to flip tables and be buyer's market. Because right now, it's still a seller's market, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it is in most places. And there there are some markets that were definitely oversold. And you probably have some price exposure. And that's in you know markets that, that saw a lot of migration in because COVID said, you know, hey, I could work from wherever. And I want to work where I enjoy the lifestyle you know, some of the Idaho markets, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we are going to continue to see, and I, from a pricing perspective, our expectation, and this is what, you know, most economists are saying, 
is that the demand continues to be quite strong, even interest rates, you know, moving north of 7%. The demand is quite strong. You're seeing some fallout of contracts, but those are mainly on the new home construction side where they put a bid in for a house and they, they entered into a contract. And then by the time they went to close, the house was done. You know, the cost of that because of the mortgage as well as the building costs were much higher than they expected. So they canceled the contract. And that home builder will have an opportunity to sell that to somebody else because the demand's quite strong. I mean, I'm sitting actually on the uh, northeast coast of Florida right now. And this area of the country, just like North Dallas, Austin, Texas, and other areas are going to receive net migration in from all over the country, people seeking the lifestyle, seeking the cost of living. And you're going to continue to see that. So we, we on a national level expect that you know, you're not going to see a lot of wholesale price reductions like you saw and you know, price decimation like you saw in 07 and 08. That was an entirely different asset class issue with you know, the classic asset uh, you know, bubble burst because there was a lot of lending practices. People were buying three, four homes speculatively. It was artificial demand. It drove the price up. And then when, when the credit that was sitting underneath it was basically called due, hey, you need to make these mortgage payments, a lot of the folks, and let me just give you a statistic, going into the last real estate adjustment, which the huge one which occurred in 2007, 25% of all mortgages were considered junk. And that's FICO scores you know, below a certain threshold. Going into this adjustment, there's a trillion plus dollars more equity in the homeowner's pockets. In addition to that, the FICO scores are over 100 points higher than they were going into 07. So if you think about it this way, someone's gonna hand the keys back to the bank and the bank is going to repossess it if there's no equity. And typically, the more stout borrowers have a stronger balance sheet outside of their home, and they have the ability to fund their mortgage or even take a, you know, a, a HELOC to be able to pay their mortgage and cover other costs that might be increasing as a result of, of the inflation that we're currently experiencing. So the fundamentals are absolutely different. And the headlines are arguably to you know, get people to read their articles. Yeah, there's some facts in there, absolutely. But the fundamentals are absolutely different this time. As the housing market cools, it's a normal adjustment. And what the Fed is doing is trying to say, hey, look, let's let's pump the brakes on this absolutely historic price appreciation. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy for the economy. Let's pump the brakes a bit. Let's cool the credit markets, et cetera. Let's make certain that, you know, we have healthy, you know, uniform price appreciation and it's it's you know it's the right thing to do. I mean, there's a lot of arguments on the margin whether or not it was done the right way and was it done at the right time. But you know, at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do. You can't have inflation running, you know, at the pace it's running today. Whatever the cause, whether it be supply chain or otherwise, you just can't. It's not sustainable. And houses appreciating by 16 percent or 27 percent year on year is not sustainable either. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy for a society. Well, so so it's interesting because I saw a thing the other day, like one point, like eight million people are geared up to move into Phoenix or to Arizona. I don't know if it's before the year's out, and everybody's like, "How are we going to handle all of this? It's great for the economy, but you know, there's everything else that goes around traffic and everything." But I know looking at house market, housing markets, like there's houses that were like maybe six hundred thousand back in 2019, 2020. 
They're like now 1.8 right now. I mean, it is a huge gap. I mean, it's super talk about being healthy for the economy. But everybody says, well, when the economy goes down, the market shifts. But I feel like the economy has been kind of wonky and all over the board since COVID. I mean, I feel like it's, it's, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. It could get worse, but I don't think it's going to get a lot worse. But I feel like the real estate market is just going to kind of control everything. And, you know, I just a lot of people moved out of California for a lot of various reasons. But and Marjorie and I know a lot of people that sold their houses. But I feel like California of all places, a lot of people are moving into California during all this messiness. And, you know, I moved out, but, you know, Marjorie, you're still there and a homeowner as well. I feel like there's more people in L.A. as well. I don't think these statistics of the top three states people are moving to. Yes, we know people who moved out of California. We know between all the problems and homeless and all the crime, it's it's everybody's moving out. But I feel like L.A. is still having people move in. And I don't know if that's kind of false perception from the numbers of opportunities because we're all kind of in the same position of economic strain, jobs, going back to work, not going back to work. I just feel like we can't pick each state apart right now, but we kind of can't because California is the one that throws me for a loop right now. And then I know yeah. and I always talk about so many people in L.A. right now. And I feel like, are they, Marjorie, are they moving in or are they still moving out since I left? Both. Yeah, Dan's the expert, but I've seen like people coming in, people going out, and Dan probably have a lot more insight on it. Well, I mean, the engine, the engine for California is innovation. I mean, California, the size of the economy, the the technology companies, the you know, the way of thinking, the way a Californian thinks is fundamentally different than folks around the world. I mean, I've I've done business in all the states. There are advantages and disadvantages and differences in the way people approach opportunity. And Californians and the, the amount of the, the capital that's available to entrepreneurs who come up with great ideas, you know, it's a, it's a very unique place in, in the world. You know, you have little pockets elsewhere. You know, Austin's like a little hotbed of that same type of thinking that I've got a great idea. I can secure the capital I need. I'm going to prove it up and then I'm going to go for it. You know, California is very much a go for it mentality, and it's it's the engine that drives all the jobs. You know, yeah, they have, but, but they, that's they also but that's also that because I'm still California. I mean, I've been there for so long, so I, I mean, I'm definitely still California mentality, and I have clients there. But I feel like let's go great idea build. I figured that mentality, which is way more prevalent in California, was because Silicon Valley and the dot com days. But that just means there's more startups coming to California that are not surviving, that are crashing and burning. They owe money. They're not paying employees as more legal to protect people and employees or, you know, there's so many more laws. And in every state, it's perfect. Every state has their benefits. They're good in the bad. I could list a bunch of great things about California that I wish I still had. There's a few things I don't like, but every state has a good, the bad. You just got to figure out what you want to deal with. But that mentality is also driving I think quasi more unemployment, more bullshit because there's so many startups who are just bailing, owing tons of money, lawsuits being laid all around because people are suing them or they're improperly suing the wrong person because they feel something's owed to them. That mentality is also a huge burden on California that most other places don't have. And Marjorie and I can talk about that because you'll be in the startup space with technology. I feel like that's also kind of driving the market 
on real estate because they can't afford houses because all the money goes into a startup. The startup defunct. They don't want to pay their bills. I mean, I do think California, and I do love it. I'm a Californian girl, but I do think it's messy because of that mentality. I don't know, Marge, am I wrong on that? Well, I think Dan makes such a good point. It's like there's so much capital here for innovation. And with the startup model, it's just like, you know, only two or three out of 10 are going to make it. So you're going to have like a lot of failures to have like great successes. Yeah, I mean, I actually, it's, it's interesting. I actually agree with both of you vehemently. The the pioneers take arrows, right? So there's anytime you get out there and you're you're out in front, you know you're you're gonna get it. You know you're and to your point, Margie, the you know there's there's a equate you know there's an expectation, especially with with a round, that there's going to be a certain percent of these businesses that fail because of poor leadership. They fail because the idea wasn't great, failed to commercialize, et cetera. But but that's where, you know, that's where the zero to one effect happens. You know, that's where the, the innovation happens when people take risks. They take calculated risks, smart risks, and they, they attempt to do something that's never been done in that way or never been done. And there's a certain, and, and I'm not suggesting that it's unique to California alone. I mean, if you go to Boston, especially with all the universities there and the ideas and the thinking and the hard science that's being done, you go to Austin, same type of mentality. The whole state of Texas is very much, you know, it's a different, it's a different place, but there's capital available in Texas. It's a healthy tax well, situation. Well, Florida, you know, they, Florida also has, because with all the crypto money, Bitcoin, Arizona has so much money in tech and entertainment, sports moving in. You've got some of these states that are the premier states. I think like to your Marty's point, that have a lot of money a lot of stuff because it's cheaper to live here, taxes and stuff. So I feel like we're going to then be those three states that are going to kind of teeter on the brink of LA issues, New York issues, which is where, because so I yeah, think- Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's definitely challenges when, when population grows faster than the infrastructure can keep up. And it's a huge challenge to government. It's a huge challenge, you know, for the society to absorb that. But I think- you know, this is what I love about America. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure you guys have traveled all over the world and done business all over the world. There is nothing like America. And any, I know we like to be self-effacing and we like to be critical. And then on a lot of points, we deserve it. You know, we, we are critical of ourselves. But at the end of the day, I have yet to see another country in the, in the world that provides, you know, assurances of the reason the capital markets work here is because our legal system works. You know, if I'm a minority shareholder in a company, I can make, I can with confidence assure myself that I have legal rights to be a minority shareholder and the majority shareholder is not going to be able to step on me because of political connections or otherwise. And when you have that, the economy tends to operate in above ground. Where you don't have that, it tends to operate below ground and you don't have proper title to assets. And the United States is set up in you know, a combination, and we, we, we stand on the shoulders of a lot of people, men and women, over the last hundreds of years that made a lot of sound decisions. My favorite character going back in time, and I know he's controversial in today's market, is Thomas Jefferson. If you really study how far out he looked in the decisions that he made about you know, Jeffersonian squares and reserving, before there was even a public school system, he reserved a component of land to be sold to provide the funds 
for a school for the people within that township. I mean, there's a book called Measuring of America, and I challenge anyone, politician, otherwise, to read it. It's a relatively obscure book. It's, it might be out of print. I buy them by the caseload and hand them out. And if you read you know, that book and you just study Thomas Jefferson, if you want to illuminate what's going to happen in the future and how to think differently, just take a look at what the, you know, the, how he viewed things. He contemplated, hey, we're going to need to educate the population of a growing country. And we're going to need to have the funds to do it. And it's probably not going to be politically expedient to be able to go raise taxes to build a schoolhouse in Kansas or in the, in the Ohio Purchase Territory. So why don't we reserve some of this land that we're surveying and reserve it? And so we could not necessarily build a schoolhouse there, but we can sell it and, and we can use those funds. I mean, how forward thinking was that? And that's the kind of thinking we have to have as a country. We have to have that as a country where we put aside, you know, important, but, you know, large differences. And we have to start thinking a little bit further out over the horizon and say, how can we absorb a greater population? If our population is likely to continue to grow for quite a period of time, and then it will temper off just like Europe did and certain countries like Japan, it'll, it'll taper off. It's not going to grow indefinitely, but we have the land, the resources, and we have, you know, abundance here and we're going to grow. And how do we think about and solve problems, not to be politically expedient today, how do we solve problems that are going to address the problem today, but then also position us to be best equipped to deal with what's to come? And I just don't think people are looking out for, far enough out over the horizon. You know, all of us as a society, we're, we're caught in our underwear arguing over near-term things that are important. I'm not saying they're not important, but we're really distracted from bigger problems. It's a shame. You know, I mean, I, I know we're off topic of real estate, but I, I look, I'm one of the few companies in the real estate space that we purpose built our business to be prepared years ago to be prepared for exactly what's happening right now. And we're seeing in our results, we have significant advantages. Our agents have advantage because of the technology that we built and the things that we did in preparation for a market that's not going to be frothy forever. How do you get efficient? How do you restore income to the agent? How do you in eliminate inefficiencies, you know, leveraging technology and processes and people? And how do you have a culture of a business that really cares about the people that work there? You know, those things are positioned as, I, you know, I go to some industry events and I listen to folks, you know, hand wringing and I read the newspapers and I'm like, yeah, I feel sorry for you because you didn't prepare for this. You know, I feel, I feel pretty good about what's to come. Can you talk a little bit, because you do use technology, can you talk about maybe two or three things that your technology does that kind of puts you guys in that leading position in real estate? Sure, sure. So, so first of all, you know, there's, if you take a look at the typical broker or agent that's out there, you know, serving their clients, they have to, they have to have certain resources available at their finger. They have to have a customer relationship management database. They have to be able to market the properties. They have to be able to market themselves. They have a number of tasks that have to happen in order to consummate a transaction on behalf of their buyer or seller client. So what we did was in a lot of those brokerages, other brokerages, they went out because they didn't, they weren't willing to either invest or they couldn't invest the resources to be able to create a platform that they could provide to their agents. So the broker provides resources to the agent. The agent then fulfills the needs of the client. 
they bought it off the shelf. And in order to get everything they need, they had to have 10 or 15 different technology, third-party technology solutions that cost 5, 10, 15 bucks a month per agent per month. That's at the broker level. And then if the agent was off on their own, they, they also spent money buying leads, hosting and, and supporting an SEOable website, all of those things, generating marketing materials, whether it be digital marketing or print marketing. And if you look at our bullseye platform, which DA Davidson kind of recognized recently as one of the leading technology innovations out there, we did the deep plumbing. We got everything in the cloud and it's all proprietary and it's all it's an end-to-end solution so that we can afford to offer all of that to our agents and our brokers free of charge. So we we did the deep investment, tens and tens of millions of dollars, so that our marginal cost per incremental agent is zero. So as we add another thousand agents, add another ten thousand agents, our cost structure doesn't change. So if you look at operating and this is back to your technology question, if you really want to see if a company is tech forward, you take a look at certain traditional metrics like operating expense per transaction or per agent. If you look at our metrics, there's a number of public companies that are out there. We are 37% more efficient than our nearest competitor. And we're 10x more competitive than the traditional players that are public. And that's a huge advantage for us and our agents because our agents aren't burdened with the cost of it. So let me give you a specific example, our marketing hub. Our marketing hub allows us one very, 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 very talented creative design person in Dallas or Kansas City, or for that matter, anywhere in the country can design a new you know, social media post or a postcard or print marketing or digital marketing piece. Within a millisecond, it will be dropped into every single agent's dashboard with their picture, their information, so that they can decide and then they can edit it. They can work with their team to modify it. That technology doesn't exist as far as I know in any other real estate company in the United States. So I can have one creative design person render a beautiful listing presentation and I can drop it into every single agent's mailbox or into their dashboard, their marketing hub, and it'll show their picture, their contact information. It will even pull from our data warehouse the listing information from their listings and put it in that collateral piece. And then from that point, they can edit it and then publish it, whether it's digital or print. Perfect example. How many realtors do you have on your platform? We have north of 21,000. And that number... That number was well south of 10,000 four years ago. And is it, is it throughout the whole United States, correct? Yeah, we have offices literally from Maine to, to Southern California and from South Florida to, I guess we have a few in Washington State. Yeah. So, 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 if, I, so, if, I'm gonna, so if I'm a realtor and I have a house to sell, you know, you do all the photos, all the benefits, features listed like you're buying a house. And I do it like it's like a collaboration tool, an AA collaboration tool. I do it. And then it drops into every single person's dashboard on the system, no matter where they are. Everybody's seeing what's moving and what's being sold and bought around the entire United States. Correct? Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit different. So what I'm talking about is the actual marketing of a property. So you might want to send an email blast out. You might want to do a social media post or even do a radius postcard mailing, traditional mailing. So what I'm talking about is the actual... An agent would spend or a broker would spend tens of hours a month creating the marketing materials to promote and advertise a property. 
we've reduced that to seconds. Got it. Let's talk about hot markets. So if we're looking for a long-term plan of like in 10 years, where's a good place to buy in the U.S. right now? Well, it's an interesting market. I think we opened up with that. I think you have to look at migratory patterns and where the economy is strong today and it's likely to be strong in the future. And you also have to look at increasingly where is the is government doing a good job? And again, this isn't a political statement. I, I, I'm not going to go there. That's not important. But it is very important, but it's not important for this conversation. But if you take a look, it's not just the Sun Belt, but you take a look at Texas. They have no state taxes. They have an incredibly high ranking as far as favorability for, you know, for business, pro-business. And pro-business does not mean you're anti-people. It means that you're pro-business, which then allows those businesses to employ people. So I think you're you're probably a safe bet to say that you know the corridor from Austin or San Antonio, however you want to look at it, all the way to Dallas is going to be one contiguous city 35 years from now, just like it is on the East Coast on I-95. And all that area, you know, when you get into Waco and you get through there, it's going to be one large city. Now, and there's still going to be plenty of land to develop, but Texas is going to do fantastic. Florida is a perennially strong state. California, you know, it is it is a starfish. You know, it has its problems from time to time. And you can, you know, you if you've ever seen a starfish and when you're a kid, maybe you might have accidentally nipped one of its, its arms off or whatever they call those things that stick out and it grows back. California tends to reinvent itself very fast. And so California is probably not a bad place as well. And you're going to have a lot of migration in the quality of life, the climate, the outdoor recreational activities, et cetera. You have these incredible spots. And then you have these inc- these other places you know, in the central Midwest, whether it be Kansas City, Indianapolis, where they've really started figuring out how to get that downtown area and the near burbs to be high quality of living as far as amenities. And I think places where you have things, people like people because of technology and because of the abundance in the United States, People are increasingly having free time and they want to spend it doing the things they want to do, you know, outdoor recreation, the mid-Atlantic states, North Carolina. I do think we have some issues if you want to talk on the other side of the coin. I think there's some issues in some of the areas where the climate's not all that great. The economy's not that good. The tax, Illinois is, is going to have, continue to have problems. They have, you know, political, economic, and it's a, it's a kind of a perfect storm where they have issues and people don't necessarily want to live where there's not good high quality of living. It's not safe to live in the city. So you're going to continue to see people moving from, from lower quality of living to higher quality of living areas. And people are increasingly mobile to work, especially the knowledge workers are increasingly mobile and they can work wherever they want, you know? So it's, uh, I, I think no one's giving up. No, no area of the country is giving up. The, the politicians, the business leaders, the people that call it home are going to continue to fight to make a good quality of life for the people that live there, whether it be in the city or whether it be in the near burbs or the exurbs or rural America. I think that the United States is a beautiful place where beautiful people do beautiful things. And I think that, you know, we're going to have, you know, really bright spots all over the country. But I think there's some areas that are more advantaged than others because of things they set in motion. I'm not really trying to high five Texas too much because God knows, you know, they have their own high fives. But if you take a look at the legislature doesn't meet every year. It only legislates. It doesn't over legislate. They don't have the same career politician kind of funnel coming through there because they are very efficient. And they, they have a cycle when they come in, they make they address the most important things and they go home to their jobs and their constituents. 
So they're connected to the people that they're governing. And elsewhere, they're over-governing. So I don't know. I mean, I think there seems to be a correlation between a favorable business climate, which somehow we've lost sight of the fact that that abundance that's created by responsible capitalism is actually a necessary ingredient in order to be progressive. I'm very progressive. I mean, I think we should absolutely have an incredible safety net for everyone. Every, we should have you know, equal opportunity for everyone. But if you look at the places to answer your question, I think where they have let people you know, express their creativity and create responsibly, I think that's where you're going to see the best opportunities. And that correlates damn near 100% to where do you want to invest in real estate? Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I know we're wrapping up soon, but it's so funny that when I moved here like, like five weeks ago, there was two or three people here that from California that are in Arizona. Another good friend of mine who was actually, he was a guest on our podcast. Uh, Marjorie and I talked about a great podcast with them. They are now out here, I think in a week, looking for secondary homes and stuff in AZ. So it's just, it's interesting to see the shifts and the dynamics from pre-COVID through COVID to now what we're going to do with our living. I mean, like you said, I agree with you, Dan, we're going to go to where we have the lifestyle where it's easy. We're all remote. Most people don't need to be in offices. They don't want to be in offices. So you got to really go to where it's going to make you happy to live because we have a lot more free time. No, we don't have free time. None of us have tons of free time, but because we're working remotely, not stuck for two, three hours in traffic, grinding through events that are never going to come back. It's all majority of it's going to be kind of a quasi hybrid. We do have more free time quality of life now that we realize we don't need to be in an office. So I do think it's going to change the dynamics or at least the economic status of the United States over the next year or two and where people are going to kind of shift and move. We will want to ask you a quick question before you know we run out of time. Real estate is one of the oldest, most traditional markets out there. Do you find there is adverse adoption to getting all these realtors onto the platform? And do they understand the innovation of, you know, real estate's not a tech play. It's not like NASA or medicine. It is real estate. There's nothing techy about it, but you're now creating a platform to with the technology to innovate the market to make it easier, quicker, faster. Are you finding any hurdles getting these realtors to adopt to the platform versus their old school ways of doing stuff? Yeah, you know, I think that's that that's always, you know, the the word efficacy kind of comes into place. You know, I know that's a medical term, but the efficacy of of your, you know, your medicine, right? So, we purpose build systems so that a large component of it works with very little or no interaction. So, it's just working for the agent. You know, whether it be, you know, listing listing marketing, search engine optimization using AI, machine learning, etc., where we can we where it makes sense, we try to let the machines do the work. And sometimes they're better at it. Oftentimes they're not, but a lot of times they're better at it. Where real estate is an infrequent emotional transaction and the FOMO in real estate, you know, I'm a seller, I don't want to sell for too little. And I don't want to make a mistake. You know, I don't want to get sued or whatever. So I want to I want somebody and actually it's interesting with all the technology and over thirty five billion dollars invested to try to disintermediate the agent. The percent of deals that were facilitated by an agent actually went up from 88% to 92% in the last measured period. So there was all these companies that came out of predominantly the West Coast that said, hey, we can disintermediate the agent. We can take the TAM or the total you know, addressable market 
And we can grab some of that hundred plus billion dollars and put it in our pocket because we came up with a slick software. That's not going to work. We're making the tools and picks and shovels more efficient so that the agent can do their job and escort a seller or a buyer through a highly emotional, highly important. It's their, oftentimes it's their biggest asset. It's the most important asset. It's one of the few areas where an average person can actually use responsible leverage to get a better than average return. And if you think about it, there's not many other places, whether it's business formation or otherwise, where an average person can go in because of our capital markets and the mortgage markets that are very well articulated and go borrow money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases, millions of dollars, and buy an asset because the underlying asset has you know, value. That's the thesis. And it does. And so because of that, that's where a lot of middle America, that's where a lot of America stores their wealth and creates wealth that then they can use in retirement and or transfer to the next generation. So it is important for us, back to your question, to build technology that much of it works with very little interaction or a concierge interaction with one of our team members, helping them get it set up. Not because they don't, they can't do it. It's just that it's not the best use of their time. It's not the, mar- the highest marginal return on their time or energy. Where their time is best spent is networking in the local community, showing that they're trustworthy and knowing the laws and knowing how to negotiate well and doing all the things that agents do very, very well that a machine just can't do. There's a lot of things in the real estate transaction that machines are not equipped to do. You know, We have, we have people that will walk away from a deal or not get a transaction done because there's, you know, there's chairs that they're trying to negotiate to leave in the house because they really look good. Those bar stools, those $2,000 bar stools look great with that bar. They were custom built and the deal's about to fall apart on a $2 million deal. Agents are, in my opinion, are so valuable, especially today with the, all of the moving parts. And our North Star is the agent. And so our job from a technology, to your point, is to empower them to do what they do beautifully is to give them the tools and resources that they have and the consultation and the mentorship if they're just starting their career and the encouragement and the camaraderie that's required to have fun doing it. And that's what we're doing. You know, we're building a system and, and we built a system that allows them to thrive and have some fun doing it. I always feel like sometimes with some of these industries are getting so tech heavy and so all these tools that are so innovative that it's becoming easier for people to make money to survive without having any people interaction because they're just, you know, the drama, the time they want to just be able to make money while they're at home, not have to physically go out and run around. And I feel like sometimes, yes, we need to always innovate and move forward to streamline the process, save money, time, be more efficient. But sometimes I feel there's got to be a balance because people lean into tech, which I'm always all about leaning into tech, leadership, lean into technology. But we're getting to a point to where it's going to be easier for more people to be realtors or just to move careers, make money without having to leave their house now. Yeah, I, I tell you, it gets it gets back to the psychology of transacting real estate. And it bodes very well for our thesis that the agent is our North Star. Yeah. The agent is our North Star. And so how do we attract and retain and equip the agents out there so that they can do a better job for their customers that are passionate about, that love their customers. Oftentimes, it's their friends. How do we solve for that? 
for me, that's a, you know, a, a purpose that I, I, I get, I'm passionate about. I love it. I mean, I listen, I ran the world's largest Microsoft systems integration and custom vertical development company prior to this. Okay. And it wasn't about emotion. It was about what's my return on my investment, on my technology investment. You know, I'm going to spend 2 million bucks or 5 million bucks putting in a new ERP system and CRM, yada, yada, yada. And what kind of efficiencies are we going to get? And the reward of doing our job was the client would say, thank you very much. Now quit billing us. And there's the door. And we'll just send you, you know, we'll call you if we need anything. With this business, I love it because we meet people that are at the first part of their career. They come in, we have a buffet of tools and some of them, you know, really warm up to one or two and they use that as their competitive advantage and their go-to-market strategy on an individual basis. And they go out and then you talk to them at a convention two years later and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm doing really well. And my husband or my wife or whatever, we are thriving as a family. That's what this business is about. And it's how do we make more and more, how do we make the maximum number of people get achieve their objectives and get the best possible, you know, outcomes and hopefully aligned with their goals and their aspirations. And how do they serve their clients better? That's kind of what, what guides us. It's not it, now, but technology, it's, it takes a lot of money and a lot of know-how to be able to solve a problem with technology and where it's appropriate. Absolutely. Apply technology innovation, see if you can automate it. You know, where, where you can automate it, great, because then that frees up the human being to do what they're best at doing. And so it's, it's, it's not a, you know, a hammer is a very effective tool, but not if you're trying to screw it, you know, <laughs> screw something in. It's, 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 it's you just, it was like, like you I just, love having this conversation. We're running out of time, Dan, but I, like, it's, I love talking to you about where the market is and how you're innovating the real estate market. We are actually, I, I, it was so awesome to have you on here, but before we wrap up, for all the realtors out there, for anybody interested, where is the best place where they could find United, log on and become part of the system? Sure. There's a couple websites. One is addictive, so I'm going to warn you in advance. Unitedrealestate.com. You'll learn a lot about us in the newsroom and you'll kind of get a feel for us and where we have offices across the United States. And then a business that was founded in 1925, its website is unitedcountry.com. And United Country is the largest purveyor and seller of rural real estate. And we, you know, we just sold the Four Sixes Ranch from Yellowstone, the movie. One of our brokers did. Can't talk about price or anything. Mr. Sheridan bought it. And we were excited to be part of it. We love, love that transactions, but we, we have, we sell it. We sell real estate where there's stars, which is unitedcountry.com. And then we sell residential homes and all sorts of properties inside of, you know, metropolitan and, and uh, suburban markets across the U.S. So unitedcountry.com and unitedrealestate.com. Amazing. That's actually one of my favorite shows, too. So glad that it's oh, yeah. in good hands. Where can people reach you directly down with any other questions? It's my email address is Duffy at ure-group. Dot com. <laughs> I knew there's some hesitancy there, but we always want to make no, sure. That's okay. Yeah. I'll do it. I, I got it. <laughs> Let's do it. It'll be fun. Okay. Keep it posted. What kind of females go to you? Um, it was so good having you on. Thank you. I know you're down in the middle of all this aftermath of the hurricanes in Florida. So I do appreciate you 
taking the time to log on. It was so good having you on the show today. Well, thank you very much. Love you guys and uh, take care and really appreciate it. And to all those listening, uh, hopefully there was something in there. And if you want to chat some more, uh, pop me an email. Perfect. Until we catch up with you again down, this is Sarah Miller, Marjorie DeHay with Meet and Maven's podcast, signing out. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.